Thank you, Brenton. Morning, everyone. What a wonderful privilege to meet together with God's people, uh, to worship, to sing, to pray, to hear the word. Just a marvelous thing. And I perhaps can mention that I count it a privilege to be invited to speak with, to you this morning, share with you. I would like to say that this is actually holy ground here. Um, actually, I've still got my shoes on, but at the same time, uh, I always take the attitude that um, opportunity to stand here before God's people is something that's not to be denied, uh, or something not to be despised. That is a very important privilege. So, this sounds to me like it's a bit loud. Is it too loud? Or not? Okay, we can. <laughs> that sounds like an excellent suggestion. So, thank you, Anne, for choosing my favourite hymn this morning, which you probably knew you were doing. No? Yes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, it's actually written in the instructions to my funeral service that they've got to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. So you did well this morning. And then the other song, straight after that, was... Um, Fill my eyes on, uh, uh, my eyes on my God with a vision of the cross. You may not all be aware that my brother wrote that song. My brother Kent wrote that many years ago. And I was also pleased that you sang the repeated line at the end because most people don't. And I think really that last line really sort of brings the song to a lovely conclusion. So thank you. You've done very well this morning. Pleased to be here. That's good. I was asked if I would uh, talk to you on the theme that's on the screen now, using spiritual gifts. Uh, it rose out of a book that I wrote called When We Step Out, God Steps In. The book is now out of print, unfortunately. However, good news is that uh, you can get an e-version on my website, which at the moment is not working. Somebody's hacked it, but it's getting fixed. And uh, you can get the e-version from there. It's, uh, it's quite cheap. As you can get a whole lot of things on, on the web. And, and from my website, there's a list of some of the things there, so I know some of you haven't looked already, but uh, it's worth having a look every now and again to see what else has cropped up. There's stories, there's poems, there's skits, uh, there's um, Bible studies, there's videos, a whole range of stuff there that you would find it. Uh, very much of it is free, which is good. But speaking of free, um, <clears throat> most of you know the sort of thing that I'm engaged in, Vanessa's engaged in, a lot of... Um, Counseling and uh, mentoring goes on, and um, video ministry as well. And just uh, for your interest, I have videos that I've done through the YouVersion Bible app. app. The last figures they gave me told me that over 50,000 different people have accessed at least one of my Bible studies. So that's nice to hear. Biggest congregation I've ever had. <laughs> so, so, you know, have a look at those. But also, uh, on the other side of it, we're winding down the publishing side of it. And it's getting to to carry on the distribution and so on for that. So I've bought some books this morning and I'll be in the next room afterwards. But they're free. So <coughs> one book about angels. <coughs> if you haven't got it, just grab a copy. You can have one. And by the way, it's not a bad little book. Sometimes they have on hand to give to non-Christians. Because sometimes they are interested in things like angels. And this book does have in it a very clear gospel message. 
If I was writing it now, I'd probably do it a little differently because some of the beginning part is um, sort of biblical data which might not interest other people so much, but anyhow, the rest of it's good. Um, and then also there's some prayer diaries there. If, you, if, you, if your prayer diary is now worn out or you haven't got one, you know, have one to grab one of those too, so they'll be there afterwards. How's that? Is that alright? I thought I was doing something really, yeah. But you want discount as well. <laughs> That's really pushing it. <laughs> okay. Now, would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, please give us sharp eyes to understand and soft hearts to believe. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to read from uh, Matthew chapter 14. And firstly, the, the first point we're going to make is uh, new spiritual gifts according to need. Now this is a story that is well known of how, well, let's just read it. So uh, when he went ashore, he is uh, Jesus, of course, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go to the villages and buy food for themselves. So you see a highlight of two words there. People were sick and people were hungry. It was also in a desolate place. <clears throat> and this is the primary motivation for using spiritual gifts. It is to meet people's need. Why did Jesus feed these people as we will see? Well, because they were hungry. Why did he heal them? Because they were sick. Um, and that's the reality of it. Divine healing is only for sick people. Right? If you're healthy, too bad. <laughs> and that's not a reason for making yourself sick, of course, but the reality is that only sick people need healing. So, here's a couple of questions. Which is the right question? Which gifts do I have, or which need can I meet? See, a lot of people are preoccupied with saying, I wonder what my gifts are. And when you're asking that question, where are you looking? Looking in here, looking into yourself. But when you ask the question, what needs can I meet, where are you looking? You're looking out to other people. And that's the, that's the motivation or question behind using gifts of the Holy Spirit. What needs can I meet? Because as we said before, only sick people need healing. So if um, you want to minister to the sick, well, don't do it in the health, you know, on the football field or something. You know, find, some, find somewhere where people really need that. I suppose the football, football field might be a place to... Anyway, you know, the point I'm making here, that uh, we need to get the perspective on, and that's enough motivation. You may say, well, uh, I've never ministered to the sick, but if you're the only person there and somebody is sick, then you ask the question, what needs can I meet? That's when you need a gift of the Holy Spirit to meet that need, and that's why they're given. There's nothing to do with reputation or calling or talents or anything like that. Spiritual gifts are to meet people's needs. All right, number two. Um, oh, I'm still on number one. Uh, we need to say about that um, on the same kind of line. Some people uh, say that they believe the gifts of the Spirit are permanent. In other words, you have a permanent gift of healing or you have a permanent gift of prophecy or a permanent gift of this or that. But uh, that, in fact, is not how the Bible describes gifts of the Spirit. Now, other gifts are like that. Um, teaching may be a permanent gift. Um, pastoral care is a pers personal gift, pers permanent gift. And so other, other gifts may be sort of lifelong 
talents that just go with you. But gifts of the Spirit are not necessarily permanent because they're given to meet a need. And if that need arises, then that's when a gift is needed to meet the need. So to play it on words, they're not permanent, but they're pertinent. And if you don't know what pertinent means, well, it means apt or appropriate or suitable for the occasion. Okay, so there's a difference between that. Because even a permanent gift may not be pertinent. So, okay, I'm a teacher, but um, if somebody's sick, they tell me to forget my preaching. They don't want preaching, they want healing. And so, my permanent gift is teaching, but a pertinent gift at that time will be a gift of healing. Does that make sense? That's an important distinction. Alright. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps part of the problem here, the way we understand this, is that the way that the, some Bible translations put it, so you've got the King James Version here, uh, there, but, and you notice I've highlighted the, the definite article, the word the. And so it says here, if the one is given by the Spirit, the word of wisdom to another, the word of knowledge, further down uh, to another, the gifts of healing to another, the word of miracles, so on. It's interesting that the word that does not occur in the Greek text. It's not part of the Greek New Testament. Um, it's something translators have put in. Because as soon as you say that someone has the word of wisdom, what does that imply? It implies permanence. Yeah? They always have a word of wisdom. Every time they open their mouth, they speak wisdom. Uh, or if you say someone has the gift of healing, that implies that every time they pray for someone, someone is healed. You're right, Mark. You're right, you're that. So let's, let's look at it differently. Um, this is the BCB, the Barry Chant version. <laughs> to one who's given an utterance of wisdom, to another an utterance of knowledge, to another... Now that sounds funny English to say to another a faith, but uh, that's because in Greek the word, there's, there's no word for the author in that point. Uh, in fact, in Greek, you says in Greek, normally abstract nouns like faith have always have a definite article. It's unusual for it not to have the definite article, but it doesn't have. So it seems like Paul's trying to say something here, that it's not necessarily permanent faith that always works, it's faith for a given need. Okay, so it goes on further down, a prophecy and interpretation of tongues and so on. And notice just towards the end there, he doesn't, there's no such thing as the gift of tongues. That phrase anyway is not used in scripture. It is varieties of tongues given at different times for different needs. You know, as it happens, because we always need to pray, then pretty well everyone speaks in tongues because that's a permanent need. So, so tongue speaking is therefore always pertinent as well. Um, to go back and look at the prophecy one here, there. If you say to somebody who's given it just to another prophecy, it sounds like they can prophesy any time, any place, anywhere. If you say to another is given a prophecy, that indicates just one prophecy to meet a given need at a given time. Because it's quite a different concept. And the gifts of the Spirit are like that. They are individual gifts given for particular needs to which they are pertinent. Does that make sense? Now you can see what that does then. It means that even though you may never have prophesied in your life, it could be that you find yourself in a position where you're prophesying. Because a prophecy is needed in that occasion and you're the person on the spot. Um, this is a good one. You may never have said a wise word in your whole life. 
You may never have word but it may be that on some occasion something happens where you find yourself speaking a word of wisdom, a wise word or a wise message that just resolves a problem. Wow, because it was pertinent, even though not necessarily permanent. Well, I'm sure that you're all wise most of the time, but, but you know, I'm saying that. And a word of knowledge, perhaps we say that. It's not the word of knowledge, that doesn't mean you always know everything. It just means in certain situations, the Holy Spirit will reveal something to you that you can say, and you might not even be aware of it sometimes. But it's a word of knowledge that will change and affect somebody's need or somebody's life in some way. So, that's the first point, then pretty much up on the other. Uh, just to say on that one just there, that uh, uh, what I've done there is just quoted from several different translations of the Bible. You see there's quite a variety, but a number of them do use the indefinite article A rather than the. So I'm not, my very chant version is not the only one. <laughs> so other people do that as well. All right. Now, so, so, number two, verify our word from the Lord. Jesus said they don't need to go away, you give them something to eat. Well, when I say verify, you can't always guarantee you've got a word from God, I think, but we need to be, at least believe we have. And be, be careful that we're not sort of stepping out just doing our own thing. Um, I could just mention an example that has just come out this week. There's a American preacher who's coming to town at the end of the month and he's gone onto some new thing whereby now he's decided the way to get healed is to get baptised in water by immersion. So he's got all oh, these hundreds of people clearly up and getting baptised by immersion so they can be healed. And there are even testimonies of people recovering from things. But um, we say, hang on a minute, where does the Bible say that? Where does the scripture say that? Uh, where does the Bible say that baptism is to, is to bring healing to people? It's never, that's not part of the deal. Baptism primarily to testify to the death, burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And then to our own death, burial and resurrection in our spiritual life in him. And that's what it's for. And it's a life changing thing, but this man and his wife have something to do this. People are apparently turning up in large numbers to hear what he's saying. But we have to say, well, is that a word from the Lord? That is a line of the scripture. So whatever we're going to do, it would need to be biblical in trust. Okay, I think you know that one. Number three, treat problems with opportunities. Uh, so the disciples said we have only five loaves here and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. So here's this situation with all these people and the crowds on, on the mountainside, and we know there are thousands of them there. Um, and uh, they've got no food, they're hungry. So Jesus says to the disciples, well, let's feed them. You feed them. And they say, well, look, we've got five loaves and two fish. How can you feed thousands of people? And imagine they might even have laughed and said, oh, come on, you're joking. How can we feed them? You, know, you can imagine that. If they were Australians, they would certainly have laughed. Uh, they'd have you know, been scornful about this and made a big play of it. I couldn't possibly do that. But Jesus saw this problem as an opportunity. And that's the annoying thing about problems. They're actually opportunities for us to do something and to change something somehow. So we are all faced with different problems, different times. And many times those things seem like they're overwhelming. There's 
far more than we could ever deal with. But maybe it's an opportunity for a miracle. An opportunity for something wonderful to happen that would turn everything around. So instead of lying on night in bed all night, worrying, mulling over it and turning it over and over in our mind, we say, ah, one day how God's going to work this out. One day what part I may have in bringing about change. It's a problem that what sort of an opportunity is this? And what, what's the possibilities that face us in this way? So, that's the third thing. Um, first one, use spiritual gifts according to need. Second one, make sure it's according to the word. And number three, here, treat problems as opportunities. And in that book I mentioned, uh, the on the web, uh, when we step out, God steps in. Uh, there's, a, there's also a whole Bible study series on the web as well. You can also find us for a new version, a whole study on this idea of stepping out by faith, using this story and others. And uh, in all those stories, you find this is a faith principle here. That, um, all kinds of opportunities are described in different situations in the Bible, but how people saw them as opportunities, did something about it. Okay, number four, believe you have something to give. So Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Okay. You give them something. You notice the Bible references there too at the bottom of the screen. You can, but you can. It's all on your church computer now, so you can get those later if you wish. But um, believe you have something. One of the great things that um, Pastor Leo Harris used to teach was just to, to believe who we really are in Christ and what God really has done for us and the, the enormous resources that are available to us all of us that we can use in serving the Lord so um, you may not even know what it is but we have to believe that if God's put us in these situations because we have something we have something and it may be only a small act of love like the I love the story of the, the woman who came to Jesus and, and broke her valuable jar of ointment and poured the ointment over Jesus. And when some people criticised that, he said, leave her alone. She has done what she could. She's done what she could. And I love that, I think, how often Jesus would much rather, I think, see us do what we can than do nothing. At least we're having a go, to use a good ancient Hebrew expression. We're having a go. <laughs> we're doing something. Uh, doing something. And that's and even if we fall over in the process, it's much better than doing nothing. So it's important to believe that we have something. And we do. If we really believe what we've sung about and talked about this morning, about the resources that are ours in Christ, that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, then we have something. And we need to live in the light and the power of that and keep reminding ourselves of this. So yeah, instead of wanting to rush off and, and call the latest spiritual guru from around the place, um, just if we're there and we can do something, let's do what we can. That's not to say we shouldn't call in medical help if needed and so on. Of course, that would be silly not to. But in the spiritual aspect of it, who knows what we can do? Who knows what simply a word and a touch and a hug or an embrace or anything like that can do? can be transformational in people's lives. So, I believe we have something. Alright, number five, act in faith. 
So Jesus ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Um, literally, he gave thanks. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. They act in faith. Imagine if you're one of the twelve disciples and you've, you've already know about this five loaves and two fish and the other gospel tells us little boy brought that, brought that in his lunch, lunch for a kid. And uh, Jesus says, okay, start dishing it out. And I, how do you feel? How do you feel? You've got 10,000 people here and, and you've got five loaves. One loaf for every 2,000 or this. It's, it's nothing. But then, uh, what did Jesus do? He blessed it and uh, then he broke them. And I wonder what that looked like. But Jesus began to break these loaves. And they just keep coming. They just keep coming. What's going on here? And each loaf has become two loaves, four loaves, eight loaves. And so it multiplied. And so loaves multiply. And those poor little fish get broken. <laughs> broken and broken. And, and, and it's, a, it's a miracle. And I just imagine it growing excitement and, and delight on the part of the disciples. And I think that's what happened. They got so carried away they gave out too much. There's <laughs> two baskets left at the end. And, you know, people have tried to explain this way in all sorts of ways. Uh, some of you may remember the name Lloyd Douglas, who's a famous author a couple of decades, a few decades ago. He uh, wrote the, uh, the script or the book behind the stories that were made in the films, like The Big Fisherman and uh, uh, and uh, he, he, in one of those books, he talks about, he, he describes this happening that all the other people actually had their lunch with them too, but they, they didn't want to share it. And when the little boy shared his, they all got guilty and they all pulled theirs out. And that's everybody got fed. But it's not what the Bible says. <laughs> Maybe an attempt to de-supernaturalize it and explain it, but there's no doubt what has happened here. Jesus has given things and he's broken it and then distributed it. And so that's a... Uh, and he told the disciples to do that, uh, to, to act in faith, which he did. It's because he said, you give them something to eat, you know. Step out, do this. And sometimes we feel that we can't possibly do the thing that God called us to do. Um, I'll tell you a nice thing about it, though. Sometimes God just gives you faith, and you don't have time to think about it. You just go ahead and do it. And to a surprise, it happens. I remember... In Rosewater Church years ago, that's the church is now called Port Life, now much bigger and better. But it was okay, we had, I don't know, 60 people maybe at that stage, perhaps a few more. But we, were, we wanted to build a church manse, we built the church hall, and it was time to build a manse. It was going to cost us four room, we had to, we had to plan or sort it out, four room, four bedroom house, $12,000. We had the land, but $12,000 for the house. Nice price for a four bedroom, brand new house. <laughs> but it was 1970 something, so a long time ago. And the elders got together and we decided that, the, that on Sunday I would get up and I would tell the people we were going to build the house. And we'd agreed to do it. And the, the following Sunday we were going to take an offering and invite people to contribute. And so that was my instructions by the elders, I was to do that. So I got up and made the announcement and I said, We want to build this manse, I believe it's. Another pastor coming to join the team, we need the house. And uh, 
it's going to cost us 12000 And so if you can bring an offering next week, or if you can make a promise, I said, that's what we're going to do. And then I said, and I believe we'll get the whole amount next Sunday. And when I sat down, I thought, you idiot. <laughs> what made you say that? You weren't supposed to say that. You're supposed to tell what you're going to do. And I sat there, and we were there. people were singing a hymn, and I went, oh, you stupid. <laughs> Calling myself all these names. Anyway, the deed was done, so I couldn't do anything about it. The following Sunday, we took the offering, $2,500. So, long way short. But after church, a young woman in the, in the church, young widow, uh, I guess 40 ish, a couple of kids, um, uh, came to ask to see, asked if she could see me after church. So uh, uh, I said, sure, but I've just got to see some other people first. I kept her waiting about half an hour, which I regretted afterwards. But anyway, um, I knew that her husband had died. Of course, she was a widow. I knew he died in an accident. But afterwards, when she got talking with me, she told me, she said, Do you remember how this happened? And, uh, She's why now. She said, well, um, at the time, um, there was a big insurance payout. And she said, I resolved at that time that I would set aside $10,000 for the Lord's work. I was just waiting on the Holy Spirit to tell me when the time was right. And, um, and she hadn't been at church the day I made that announcement. But she turned up, this next Sunday. She said, and I know what I have to do with the money. She said, I want to give $10,000 to the building of the house. So, I just said she did. And she's, uh, so we got over 12,000 on that Sunday. And I thought, oh. <laughs> so, um, and sometimes the Holy Spirit will do that. He cause you to step out on things when you don't even know you're going to do it. But he, when that happens, he gives you the faith for it. Faith that lasts as long as you're doing it. And afterwards, it makes you feel like an idiot. But you do it anyway. Because you've stepped out in faith in, in God in the name of Jesus and just taking him at his word. And uh, that, uh, by the way, for those who like a bit of romance, uh, she later met uh, one of the guys in a, from out this area, and uh, they got married and lived together happily for many, many years until uh, he died just recently. So, there we go. All right, thank you, Faith. Now, oh, here we are again. Uh, Number six, don't rely on atmosphere. Uh, this is a new story now. Immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and on top. Again in the verse 23. He after he dismissed the crowds, he went out to the mountain to pray by himself. Even he came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Uh, here's a, a new new aspect of the story. Um, I don't know, have any of you been to Israel? Galilee is quite a decent sized lake, I mean it's quite big and if you stand on the shore you can see the hills the other side but they're a long way away so and apparently because it's always so fairly low there's a, um, the, land, the air pressures between the hills and the valley the, the, the low level of the lake and coupled with the, uh, just the other climatic conditions sometimes when a storm rises it rises in extreme intensity I've never seen that because the day we were there was a beautiful sunny day. But, um, but it does happen. And the storm, and so even though these men were fishermen, they, they still found themselves in a position in which the situation was extremely dangerous. They were a long way from the, the land, now it doesn't say exactly how far, 
but it, the indication is that it was many hundreds of metres in, um, in, out of, in the lake. So here they are, and there's a storm raging. Uh, the, the boat is beaten by the waves, the wind is against them, so the sails are no good, they've got to use the oars, but the waves are very strong and very intense, and the whole situation is probably one in which boats get slumped with water, waves are, the wind is beating, the sails may be getting ripped and torn, perhaps it's hailing, uh, it, it's an awful situation. So it's a long way from the shore. And, uh, the atmosphere was not really very conducive. Yeah, there was no guitar playing in the background, you know, no organ. Wendy wasn't there on the keyboard. French um, and you know, it, it was just a. It was not a not a. There's no sort of nice spiritual, uh, inspiring atmosphere there at all. Uh, it was just a, a very bad situation. Where the situation was awful, and so. When we are faced with serving God in any, in any area, don't rely on the atmosphere because the atmosphere is not going to help you much. Just to stay on that point a little bit longer. And I just sometimes wonder uh, when the disciples in this situation whether they might have all started to just sing and worship and praise God. You don't get that feeling at all. Feelings. He went into a really quite desperate at that time. Alright, that's fine. Um, don't let fear of failure stop you. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. Isn't that nice? Someone wrote a song. It's called Here comes Jesus. See him walking on the water. He'll lift you up and he'll cause you to stand. These guys singing, Here comes Jesus. They were terrified. Totally different from the nice gospel song that there is. And they were terrified. Because uh, they didn't really know who he was. It's dark and it's windy and it's raining and they're all uh, fighting for their lives. And this strange figure appeared. Well, it's understandable. They were scared. Scared. And so Jesus uh, said to them, Take heart, it is I don't be afraid. But I've specified fear of failure there because I think, from my experience, that's the thing that holds us back probably more than anything that we are afraid. And we have good reason to be because. Even though Jesus is pretty good and the Holy Spirit is pretty powerful, sometimes we just don't get the connection right and sometimes our own uh, weaknesses and inhibitions swing into play. You know, there's always a big risk with us. But if we're going to let that stop us, never do anything. Like as you well know, there are some churches who don't make a practice of praying for the sick. And the reason is, obviously, they say, well, um, if we... Um, we don't want to, what, what if it doesn't work? What, what if we pray and they're not healed? And so they don't pray and make sure they're not healed. You know, at least if we pray there's a chance. This is a possibility. So we mustn't let fear hold us back because who knows what God may do. And we're all confronted all the time with healings that don't happen. You know, it's happened in this church. My wife, as you all know, has difficulties walking, got a bad back. And have we not prayed about it? Of course we have. Not just us, but we've uh, tried to get other people who might have more faith than we've got. Now we do all these things. But are we going to give up praying for the sick? No. Because who knows? Next time. 
could be very different. But if we never pray, we never see anybody healed. If we pray, at least some people are going to break through. Some people are going to see it turn around. So um, don't let fear of failure stop us. It's uh, too often that will hold us back. All right. So Jesus said three things. Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. The translations vary on that first bit. Some say be of good courage, uh, or don't get up, or uh, this, um, yeah, take courage, be strong, don't be afraid. Take heart. In fact, I understand there's a, one man's rather confused because there's a brand of beer in Victoria which is called Courage. He rather liked the bit that says, take courage. <laughs> That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, don't be afraid, be bold here. Be, be positive. Don't, don't be afraid. Then he says, it is I. And I'm sure you are familiar with the fact that in the Greek text there's two ways of saying it is I. Uh, this is the ordinary way, which is just the verb Amy, it just simply means I am. Um, it's me. Uh, or the other one is one that says Ego Amy, which means I, even I am. And that's the phrase Jesus often used when he called himself the bread of life, or the water of life, or the light of the world, the good shepherd. He used that phrase. And he uses it here. It's almost like a divine phrase. It's certainly emphatic. He's not just saying, it's me saying, it, indeed it me, it's truly me, I, even I am here. He's really stressing the fact that he's with them. So he says, be, be courageous, here I am, so don't be afraid. That's when we have that, constant, that awareness of God, of Jesus' constant presence with us, that we have no reason to be afraid because he is with us in every situation. As he often said, of course, I am with you. The end of Matthew's Gospel, I'm with you how long? Always. I'm with you always, even till when? The end of the age. It's, it's a promise. There are many promises like that. Okay. In Hebrews, uh, God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. So wherever we are, whatever the situation, He is always there in that situation. Alright? So, don't let your faith to stop you. Um, you know, leave that. <coughs> Sometimes it's helpful to to just ask the Lord for um, confirmation of what is about to be done. In fact, I will just about that previous slide being very quick about it. Now, fear is faith in the wrong thing. When we're afraid, uh, what was it, the, the, the disciples' problem? Well, what, what did they do? They saw the wind, they became afraid. That was Peter. He saw the wind, they became afraid, began to sink. So, now, Peter's problem was he had his, his eyes on the storm, on the wind, on the waves, not on Jesus. Fear is uh, simply faith in the wrong thing. Fear means we're putting our faith in the negative, putting our faith in that which is destructive, rather than in the positive, and that which is creative. So, just note that. Okay. Um, Peter answered, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water. Now, this is an interesting situation, why did Peter say such a thing? I don't think he even knew. Except he's, I really want to be sure it really was Jesus out there on the water. So he says, okay, that's Jesus, you call me out there as well. He's asking for confirmation. I, I worked this out for myself when I was a youngster. I since realised this is what Peter did, but when I was about 19, 
and I first began to attend CRC meetings, uh, I looked at people speaking tongues and interpreting tongues and prophesying and so on, and I thought I want to do that. But then I didn't know quite how you got started and how you did it. So in a youth meeting one night, I think I was maybe 18, 19, in a youth meeting one night in the pastor's home, Pastor Dudley Cooper, who's now gone uh, to the people of the Lord, but in that day he was a young man leading a young church, and not much bigger than this. We had about half a dozen young people in the meeting. Uh, when we got to the end of the service, end of the meeting, we went to close in prayer, and quite a little bit of an outpouring of the Spirit happened. Everybody started to worship and praise God with a lot of intensity and enthusiasm. And we went on about 20 minutes just as this closing prayer. The atmosphere was good. And I had been um, praying that God would let me get going with spiritual gifts. And then um, somebody began to speak in tongues. Now aloud, give it utterance of tongues. And I thought, oh, okay, the pastor's here. He'll interpret that. And then I realized he was the one speaking in tongues. And I'd never heard him give an interpretation of his own utterance. So then I thought, I can do that. This is my opportunity. I've been praying and praying for an opportunity. Here it was right in front of me in this meeting. Nobody else here that I knew of, of half a dozen of us had ever interpreted. And I've been praying about it and it felt like, I just thought, I've got to have a go here. And so I, I did. I spoke out and I tried to interpret this utterance in tongues. Well, that was about my first real venture into stepping out of the public, the supernatural like that. And when I finished... When I got home, I thought back over what I'd said. I have to say that in, in all of human history, I doubt whether in any Pentecostal meeting, any person has ever interpreted an utterance in tongues as badly as I did. <laughs> I looked back on it and I thought it was jumbled. It was, didn't say anything unusual. It was uh, pretty ordinary. And you know, I said a few things, but I don't remember what they were, but I just thought after that was... It was, that wasn't even worth doing. And I shared that with my older brother, Ken, the next day. And I told him how I felt. And Ken has a very cryptic way of counselling. He said to me, did you pray that God would give you an interpretation? I said, yes. He said, well, what do you think God gave you? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's his big counselling session. And, and I thought, well, okay, I prayed for it. I did it. And so that kind of released me. I thought, well, maybe it was the worst in history, but didn't have the starting point. And I've come to see how when, when God wants to use us, that it's like your, many of you got children, like your kids when they first start to, to walk. You know, they get in their second year, and so even maybe the first, but they start to... And you know they're going to fall over all the time. You know they'll be constantly falling down and getting up. Um, but if they didn't, you know, they didn't try to walk, you'd be even more worried. And they just sat in the cot all day. And 20 years later, they're still sitting in the cot. <laughs> You'd be extremely worried that they haven't learned to walk. And learning to walk involves mistakes, and involves falling over, and involves difficulty. But they learn that way. And that's how I learned how to minister in the Spirit. It took years, really, to get it really working well with me. But then it's got to the point where I found, yeah, well, I can, I can do it in a way that is right for me. I learned not to copy everybody else, but to say, how does God want me to do this? And 
it that gets me in trouble sometimes because I don't always do it the accepted way. And a whole lot of things I sometimes do radically and differently. But um, it's a matter of learning how to work in the spirit and knowing that sometimes you don't get it as right as it should be or as well as it should be. And I think back, um, I could, uh, if you wanted to, someday to kind of damn me through by criticising me all the mistakes I've made over the year, well, sit up with me, I'll give you a list of a few more you don't know about. There's been plenty of them, plenty of them. But you keep going, you keep going. We don't have fear of failure, be the thing that stops us. But ask for confirmation, I'm trying to get to. Um, what I learned to do in those early days was I'd be in a meeting and someone would speak, and this is after this, I just told the story I just told you, and someone else would be, would be would speak in tongues, and I was always ready to see whether it was my time. And if I wasn't sure, I'd say, Lord, if this feeling that I should do it is from you, make it stronger. If it's not from you, take it away. And that works sometimes. And uh, that works still to some measure. Then other times I'd say, God, if nobody else has spoken by the time I count ten, then, then I'll have a go. I'll do it. So I'll start counting. You know, one, two, three, there's be silence, nobody else has spoken. Four, five, six, nobody else has still spoken. My heart's starting to beat faster. I'm starting to get more excited about this. Uh, where was I up to? Six, seven, eight, nine, nine and a quarter, <laughs> nine and a half. Seriously, this is what I did. And then when I get to ten, okay, way to go. Um, and uh, that worked well for me initially. I don't do that now. But I used to, because that was just a way of, of getting confirmation. I was really saying, Lord, if that's you, call me out there. Call me out there. And that's the best way I could work out how to do it. I'm sure some of you have had a similar experience. And I, I think I told you on a previous occasion, the morning after I had my heart surgery and I'm sitting in the hospital, uh, in Sydney in the coffee shop waiting for my daughter to pick me up and I see this couple across the way with a little baby in a crib, obviously a newborn baby and my, I, I feel the Holy Spirit say, go and pray for the baby. I thought, oh, I don't know if I'll, what do I think about that? They don't even know me, I didn't know them. So I say, okay, when I finish my coffee or whatever I was drinking, if they're still there, I'll do it then. So I'm sipping the coffee and I took lots of very small sips. <laughs> Yeah, just a little sip. So finally, the cup was empty, and I had to go and do it. So I went and prayed for the baby. So, you know, you get, it's not like everyone just automatically goes around a great flurry of power. It's simply learning how to move in the spirit. All right. So, and then take the initiative. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat. And it's, I love the way the Bible does, tells you things so simply. And I think I've probably talked about this point before, how Peter got out of the boat. And, you know, it's, it's you know, if, if I'd have written that, I'd have said something like, and so uh, Peter was standing there in the boat and the storm's raging, the boat's tipping the water, waves are battering, other disciples are all there, and, and, and Peter sort of, he wants to get out of the boat, so he grabs hold of the, the gunwale and he puts one foot over tentatively on the water and uh, his knuckles are getting white and he lifts the other foot and he gets through and then he... Yeah, let's go with one. I thought I read the Bible a bit longer than it is. <laughs> so I wanted to say, does Peter go down to the boat? Well, I don't know what it was like, but Peter did it anyway. 
And that's the thing. He got out of the way. He did it. He took. He took a step. He was not. A, he, he didn't let anything stop him. He got out. He took the initiative, and he walked up in the water and came to Jesus. You all know the story of how um, he began to sink, and finally Jesus had to help him up again. And I don't think I want to go on the story to that point, except to say this: that there's only one person who got out of the boat. That was Peter. But there's another 11 disciples still in the boat. And they might have all wanted to be critical and angry and whatever. It's easy to criticise. It's easy to have a shot at people. But one person got out of the boat. Got out of the boat. And he wasn't a giant of faith. He starts to sink because he starts to look at the waves instead of... You know, so he was struggling too, but he got out and he did something. And, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I've got the rest of the story on the screen. I don't think I have. It goes on to say what Peter said, what Jesus said rather, when, uh, when Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water. Now, now imagine, Phil, let's imagine you're Peter, right? Now, if I'd have been Jesus, I'd be honest. Ah, that is fantastic. There's other 11 people still in the boat. You got out, you walked in the water. Great, fantastic. Okay. Now that's what I think I would have said. You know what Jesus actually said, don't you? He said, Peter, what's wrong with you? Where's your face? What's the matter with you? You are a fool. In those words. I'm thinking of poor Peter. You know, he's the only one who had a shot. Jesus really has a seven. But uh, Jesus simply makes it very clear here yeah, that if we have faith, he expects us to do it. It's a bit frightening, really, in some ways. And the ministry of you know, serving God is frightening. Now, just to, you know, it's time I finish. So, just to wrap up, I just want to say this that there's no suggestion here that everyone should be prophesying and healing and casting out devils. I'm not saying that. Um, there are other factors as well. Because I teach a lot, I'm always praying for words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Because they're just available. I'm praying for a prophetic touch that I preach. I want those things to be coming through all the time, even if I'm not aware of it. But you're not all in that position. You might just have a family in place. Or you might have just workmates. And you really get an opportunity to do anything really special. But if you're ready, that's the thing. If you believe that somehow God's put you where you are, just for that purpose. And situations come up all over the place. Opportunity, in other words, to preach, but just hoping to do something nice. It's interesting that after Peter and John healed that guy at the temple, the lame man, later on, uh, someone else says how that um, they just did an act of kindness. Good act of kindness. But I imagine it might be a dream like this, that uh, this man is there asking for arms. But he really needed his legs, of course, but he's asking for arms. And, uh, 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 and I imagine Peter and John might have, Peter might have walked over to do something, give me some money, and thought, oh, I haven't got any. So look, ladies, I'm sorry. Now, I'm extremely nice, this. Look, ladies, I'm sorry, I just haven't got a deal today, I've got nothing. Uh, and then at that point, suddenly Peter finds himself saying, I do have something. And then he reaches it. 
And often happens like that. You start to do just an act of kindness, and out of that, suddenly the Holy Spirit leads you to something much more. I've seen that happen over and over again. And uh, so it's a matter of just being natural and just doing what you can do. Jesus said she did what she could. And maybe that's all you can do. Just offer to pray to someone. Just, I don't know. But offer that little thing out of that something much more than offering can. And it may be worthless. Maybe it's just an act of love. Okay. Whatever. No one being walking in the spirit of being ready to not let fear stop us, not this, not be looking for the organs and the quietness from the action. But just simply doing what we can, when we can. That's what he wants us to do. Is that alright? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you today for your presence here with us here in this place. And Lord, as uh, for this group of people, I think we're only a small number, but uh, that's alright, you only had about the same number yourself. And so, well, who knows what we might do? Who knows what might happen? Just as we reach out for acts of love and acts of kindness, and trust in you to turn those acts of love and kindness into something magical, and something wonderful, and something transformational in the lives of the people we meet. Dear God, we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.